0: Love Talk Radio. Measuring Truth Talk Radio (laughs) Yeah All those other stations out there They always got something to say But uh Not this station right here
1: Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on BlogTalkRadio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just clicked the link on my webpage, or you're listening on BlogTalkRadio.com, or even the Blog talk radio player on my Facebook page, and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, you need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry. I'll give the number again, right after the commentary. Or, if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. The time has come for us to learn, to analyze and scrutinize the things that we have conveniently come to believe as factual, through repetition, from what is actually the real truth. We have somehow been led to slaughter by our refusing to ask the questions that would hopefully make sense of the rhetoric, if indeed the rhetoric made any sense at all. We have our suspicions for good reason so often we find it easier to go along to get along rather than ask the questions that would lead us to the truth. Have we grown so accustomed to being lied to that the lie has become the thing that we desire? Have we lost our taste over the years for what is real and factual because we would rather be entertained than informed? How is it that we would rather focus on one tiny fragment of the aftermath than the root, source, and the cause what then stops us from opening the debate that would bring about the key changes needed to break the cycle of injustice have we been made to feel powerless or are we just unconcerned what will it take to wake up america in this age of information technology, there's more usable, factual resources available to the average individual through the internet that could have ever been available to the most learned scholar just 15 years ago. But we still choose to be spoon-fed rather than research, debate, and digest the truth for ourselves. Now we find that we are so brainwashed that our attention now locksteps to the next scandalous, exaggerated, emotion-driven headline, while the truth sits unnoticed, in plain sight, yet another day. Well, I for one will not be a part of this brainwashing of the masses, this decline in intellect, this surrender of conscience. So where do you stand in the scheme of things? Free thinker with a mindset to seek out and devour the truth? Or just another cog in the wheel of blind complacency? Well, of course the choice is yours. But as for me, no matter how much garbage you try to heap in my direction, I will always maintain a healthy appetite for a measure of truth. Welcome back, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. Look, if you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com a Measure of Truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with the photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a truth at gmail.com. Look, we've got a great show for you today. Today we talk with Charles D. Ellison, the host of The New School on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, an Edge-filled weekly take on the world of politics. He's a daily contributor to political... 365.com, and the author of the critically acclaimed urban political thriller, Tantrum. His insightful political analysis and commentary could be frequently found at the Huffington Post and Politico. Ellison is director of the Center for New Politics and Policy and a former senior fellow at the University of Denver and a visiting fellow at the George Washington University Institute for Politics, Democracy, and the Internet. And that's just not even the half of it. Charles Ellison, welcome to A Measure of Truth.
2: Hey, how are you doing, Michael? Thanks, Thanks for having me here.
3: Appreciate
1: well, it. Well, thank you for coming back. And you know something? I've had a chance to read Tantrum, and it blew me away, man.
3: Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> oh man, no,
1: I am such I'm a big humbled fan. By that. Yeah. And yeah, if I appreciate you don't hurry that, up man. and come out with Tantrum True, I don't know what I'm going to do, man.
2: <laughs> well, let, let the publisher know. <laughs> Definitely let the publisher absolutely, know. Absolutely, man. Oh, that totally was, on them. I appreciate absolutely. that.
1: Well, you know, this is a great time to have you on, especially with the recent changes in the House. And, um, you know, we're really, really eager to hear what you have to share with us today. Right,
3: right.
2: Yeah, you know, there's a lot going on. Uh, obviously, a lot of your your listeners have been seeing what's been happening on the political landscape. So, you know, beyond, yeah, now we're in the, the post-election phase. And this phase can be as exciting and also as volatile as the campaign phase. Uh, and the campaign phase, that's the easy part. Uh, now we're in the governance aspect of all of this. And the governance part is the, the process. Uh, and also uh, there are some leadership battles that are taking place right now, on, uh, primarily on the Democratic side of the House of Representatives. As you know, when you have Republicans uh, take over as the majority in the House of Representatives about two weeks ago, uh, they have about 61-plus, and I say plus because there's still about five different House races that are that are still being uh, counted through. They've, they've been undecided, and so people had actually predicted that, that there'd be around like a, in, in excess of about 10 different House races that would be undecided or would uh, require recounts. So we got about 61-plus um, new Republican seats or a net gain of 61 seats in the House for Republicans, and that gives them an overwhelming majority, and it's, it's the biggest majority – that Republicans have captured since nineteen forty eight. Uh so this is even bigger than the nineteen ninety four wave that some mm. of us remember when mm-hmm. Gainrich came in with his contract uh with America. Uh this this is this is the biggest Republican gain in about um in, in in generations.
1: Wow, so it seems that the polls were right. Well some of the polls anyway. But for mm-hmm. many of us this is really no surprise, but it is it really the game changer that it's hyped up to be?
2: Uh, on some levels it is, on some levels it's not. Uh, you know, you still have two out of three of the major political chambers of influence uh, in U.S. government still run by Democrats. So you have the U.S. Senate is still a Democratic majority, and the White House is still a Democratic president. Uh, it's a game change in the sense that it's, it's definitely changed the dynamics uh, on Capitol Hill and how the president will – uh, relate to or how he will uh collaborate or or talk to congress you know particularly as they're they're pushing through certain pieces of legislation and right now we're in what's called a lame duck session which is the end of this congress which will be the end the, the end portion of the democratic led session of congress It's the 111th mm-hmm. congress as they as they call it this session right now so we're going into what's called a lame duck period and there're going to be some key votes that are taking place on for example tax cuts uh, we have, at the, by the end of the year, the expiration of the Bush-era tax cuts. Right. Um, and so they're they're trying to keep those from expiring because uh, not only will those tax cuts uh, expire for, for folks making $250,000 or above, but, you know, you could see some very um, significant tax increases for everybody across the board. So, you know, I, I, I suspect that they're not going to let the tax cuts expire. Um, right now they're, they're just sort of uh, – debating back and forth about raising the tax cut limit, you know, rather than for people 250,000 dollars above, you know, let's let's do the tax cut limit for people making a million dollars. Um that, yeah, about about a million dollars or so and um, and you know and, and let's also expire tax cuts for people who are that will be the limit a million dollars and then let's expire tax cuts for people who are like in the multi-millionaire multi-billionaire range. And then there's um there's going to be another vote on unemployment benefits extensions coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. very shortly by the uh before the yeah by the by by I think December sometime. Uh, by the end of November or beginning of December. So, you know, we got some major some major some major uh votes that are going to be taking place um before the end of this year, before the lame duck session.
1: Wow. Now let, let's ask this question. Was the Democrats losing the House? Is this a Tea Party victory or just a foregone conclusion?
2: Well, it's you know, it's a number of ways of looking at this Michael. Well, I mean mm. technically some could argue that it's not so much a Tea Party victory per se, because you had about 60% of Tea Party candidates actually lost, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know 30% winning. So, um, and, you know that's that's uh, that's that's a significant chunk of of Tea Party candidates there or Tea Party freshmen that are still going into the House, particularly. Um, but you know at the same time, you know, it, it, Republicans gained from a confluence of of events. You know just a bad economy in any Washington climate. people not feeling either party you know if you mm-hmm.
3: look at the favorability
2: right. ratings of of both Democrats and Republicans, you notice that you know the voters aren't really feeling either party. you know they mm-hmm. feel like they're being sort of jerked around, so to speak <laughs> and, you know, and they, right. they feel that neither party really cares for their best interests so really you, you just have you, you had a situation where because of the bad economic climate. And because folks are kind of looking at Capitol Hill, they're blaming Capitol Hill, they're blaming the president, they're, they're blaming just politicians in general here in Washington for sort of stringing out this very uh, slow recovery. You know, they claim we're in a recovery phase. Uh, <laughs>
3: that
2: that that worked. That that sort of that that worked to Republicans' advantage, and they just basically took advantage of it and 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 created a, an electoral wave, so to speak. Um, so it you know tea part. I, you know, I, People keep calling this like a Tea Party victory, um, and, and in many ways it's not. I mean, even you could say I, that there's a big battle right now taking place uh, for the chair. There's, a, there's one getting ready to take place for the chair of the Republican National Committee. you got Republicans who are about to kick Michael Steele out. And some people make the argument mm-hmm. that, well, you know, Michael Steele was RNC chair when the Republicans made all these gains. Why would you want to oust him? Why would you want to get rid of him? But, mm-hmm. you know, Michael Steele was the, the beneficiary of just a really good, Political climate for Republicans
3: right for Republicans
2: do that, and so you know now they want to take it next level, and they want to, they want to go for both the Senate and the White House in two thousand and twelve so I, I you know I'm a little bit skeptical sometimes of the conventional wisdom that oh this is a tea party victory, no not necessarily I don't know if this is a victory at all. I mean there's still going to be some uh you know some gridlock that's going to be happening on on Capitol Hill, and, and right. that's not going to be good for anybody, it's not going to be good for either party either. I think the thing, you know, one last thought on this, Michael, the, the thing that, that folks uh, kind of missed, but, you know, one thing that I really appreciated Fox News for during election night coverage is they were covering the state races, and that's what we really should be taking a, a real serious look at. Your listeners should be looking at those state races, at, um, at the number of governorships that Republicans won and the number of state legislatures that they're now in control of, and that gives them what's called redistricting power. For the mm. next 10 years, because we just had a census, and there's been a lot of major population shifts. And so yeah. now Republicans on a state level have the power to to create more Republican congressional and state-level seats going on for the next 10 years. And it's also going to complicate the electoral map for President Obama in 2012. It's going to make it much harder for him to
1: get reelected. Wow. Yeah, it's a very good point. Um you know but you mentioned something too L- let's just talk about this is there really any teeth in the term bipartisanship or is it just another i'm trying to be reasonable fake out buzzword
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh it it is i mean this whole thing about being bipartisan it's just a way essentially for you know for a lot of politicians when they say that they're they're being bipartisan it's just a way for them to sort of avoid certain uncomfortable issues that they don't want to that, that they really don't have a solution towards. Like for example, I mean, mm-hmm. as, as far as um, uh, job growth goes, and you even have the president saying, you even have the president saying that uh... unemployment's going to be that 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 10% unemployment is going to be the new normal. Uh, and then you know we're focusing on obviously we have the tax cut debate about to take place in the lame duck session, and then you have a lot of uh, folks on both sides of the aisle, particularly Republicans. I found it very odd you know, the day after Republicans take over the house and make these major gains on the state and federal level, the first thing that they're talking about focusing on is repealing uh, repealing Obamacare or repealing
3: health care, the
2: health care reform uh, uh, legislation that that passed through in 2009. And that's what basically uh, worked to the president's disadvantage this year and which caused Democrats to to lose so badly in the
3: Mm -hmm. 2010
2: midterms. It was because of a very, um, this this sort of big preoccupation with health care and not being focused on jobs in 2009. And so now you have Republicans sort of doing the same thing. But I think the reason they're doing that is because nobody really has a solution to the unemployment problem, to the large unemployment rate that we're seeing right now, which is, uh, you know, it says officially at 10%, but really, um, you know, some economists say unofficially it's 20%. So, you know, nobody really has a solution to that. So you're going to hear a lot of talk about uh, other issues beyond, other than, you know, hey, how do we, how do we somehow decrease this unemployment rate, and also, you know, conversations, you know, talking about, you know, well, we're we're trying to be bipartisan here, but really they're not. Uh, behind, you know, there's, there's a lot of squabbling that's going to be taking place behind the scenes and also publicly. And, I mean, you're already seeing the tone being set with the Senate Minority Leader, Mitch McConnell, who's very upset that Republicans didn't capture the Senate this time around. And he is saying, you know, he said this uh, several weeks ago, and he reiterated it last week. You know, I'm looking forward to the president being a one-term president. It's going to be our job to to essentially not um, have President Obama see another term.
1: Wow. Now... If you believe the hype in the media, um, Obama's popularity is waning, and he's even losing ground among Democrats with only about 20 or so viable months left in his term. Mm-hmm. So what, if anything, can be done to turn this thing around, or is it is it done?
2: Well, you know, you've you got some prominent Democrats, for example. Um, you've got some prominent Democrats. A couple of Democratic strategists over the weekend actually wrote a column in the Washington Post uh, recommending or openly telling the president that he should just do one term. He should actually sit out the 2012 election. Um, so you've got that happening. You've got a lot of pressure on his left. You've mm-hmm. got um, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She's being very obstinate, and she wants mm-hmm. to stay in as um, as House Minority Leader. Um, so she wants to retain re- maintain her leadership position to the chagrin of, of many Democrats in the House who feel like you're know you one of the reasons why we lost, so why should we keep you in leadership? Mm. So you've got this pressure, and you've got some whispers of folks like, I mean, there was a moment for about a couple of days where there was some speculation that um, outgoing Senator Russ Feingold from Wisconsin, who just lost his seat a couple of weeks ago, was talking about running for 2012 in the primary, and now there's talk about Howard Dean coming back. And making a bid in 2012 during the primary. So, typically, when you have a sitting president who suddenly gets challenged
3: mm-hmm. by his
2: own party in his reelection bid, that that's a really big problem. That's right. a major problem, and mm-hmm. and that says basically that you've got a lot of uh, disf- dissatisfaction discon- and, and discontent within your party,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: so something has to be done soon. So, I, you know, in terms of how to turn this around, I, I'll be honest with you, Michael. I mean, I. I I get this feeling, and, and, I, and when you talk to folks here in D.C., and you talk to a lot of folks on both sides of the aisle who are watching this thing very closely, there, there's there's a lot of skepticism regarding the president's uh, desire to run for a second term. I, you know, some people just feel like, especially since this midterm, uh, you know, the president's kind of overwhelmed. You know, he really is, and you can kind of mm. see it in the way he looks and and, and some of the defensiveness um, since he's been back from Asia. You know, he really wants media to focus on the accomplishments and his achievements. is a very overwhelmed president who's getting it from both sides, from both the left and the right, from both Democrats and Republicans. Um, is there, you know, I think that's the big question. Is there really a desire on his part? And when you talk to folks inside the Democratic Party and inside the White House, they're saying that, you know, there really isn't, uh, a, there's not a whole lot of busyness going on. Right mm-hmm. now, as far as gearing up for the 2012
3: mm-hmm. campaign.
2: Um, you know, I, I, David Axelrod, his senior political advisor at the White House, um, just left. So David Plouffe can come into the White House and kind of change the communications machine. But, you know, I, once again, you got some of the same players from two years ago. And there's a lot of calls for just a shakeup and a dramatic recalibration in the White House. And that's just not happening. So, you know, it's... It, there is this sense i'm starting to hear some of this this chatter where people are like does he really want to run Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know so i mean you know i mean maybe he's he's kind of like you know hey um i've done it i'm the first black president you know i'm I'm bigger than nelson mandela i'm I'm, i've i've made it (laughs) so i mean just don't be surprised if in 2012 we just have this kind of uh... david palmer twenty-four scenario the one-term black president it and, and just don't be surprised by that you know particularly when you've got democrats placing pressure on their own president the leader of their party to mm-hmm. just do one term i'm not saying that's going to happen i'm just saying right now this this president right now is just truly just overwhelmed and it's, it's just really it's going to be very tough for him to kind of turn things around another thing too michael well, you know looking at the calls within the party for this president to do just one term. And then also looking at the changes on the Hill and the changes across the political landscape. Um, black political leadership is under siege uh, in a very big way. And I don't know if people realize this. I mean, you've got a president at the top who's overwhelmed and people telling him just to do one term. You've got a Republican national committee chair, first black one, people trying to oust him. You had four congressional black caucus members lose their committee, their House committee chairmanships, and then you had 18 congressional Black Caucus members lose their subcommittee chairmanships, all in one night. You know, because most of them are Democrats, so now Democrats are out of the out of the majority, out of power. Congressional Black Caucus is out of power. Um, you've got um, you've, you've got all those major changes we just had, in Prince George's County, which is the center of the Black middle class, most affluent
3: mm-hmm. major,
2: uh, concentration of of wealthy middle-class blacks in the country, you just had the Prince George's County executive walked out in handcuffs. He and his wife from his right. house in uh, in Prince George's County. I mean, it's just all these within within a manner of like less than two weeks, you've had this major sort of uh, the uh, devolution, if you will, of black political influence and power, and it's, it's happened very rapidly and very quick. Um, and, and and that's concerning a lot of people, um, particularly within the African-American political world.
1: Wow, yeah. Um, you paint a pretty bleak picture, but a truthful one is that. I mean, <laughs> right. you know, I'm and it's funny that. how quickly you, you you said how things have fallen apart within a short time span, and um, this is something that I've been sort of keeping an eye on myself, but more focus has been on the presidency, but um, mm-hmm. to see all these other things happening around the same um, downward spin is just unbelievable. So, tell us a little bit about Obama's recent trip and um, what, what did he hope to accomplish, but what was the end result?
2: Well, you know, one, you know, it, it's, it's kind of typical of presidents. You, you've seen past presidents um, since uh, Theodore Roosevelt, um, who, when they have experienced significant losses during midterm election cycles, they take overseas trips. Mm. uh so, so Obama was just kind of going along with sort of the 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 typical game plan of many presidents before him, you know okay you know I, I suffered a really serious political setback here at home. Let me go abroad and try to at least shore up my image and so that that was really sort of the, the there was, there was a political um objective or goal behind Obama just taking this long trip going overseas um also to he was also trying to build up support and build up momentum for a trade deal with South Korea, which is right now about the 12th or 13th largest economy in the world right now, and it's growing mm-hmm. fast. Uh, and you've got South Korea growing very fast, and you also have China now is, is now the, the second largest economy in the world. Now it used to be Japan up until about a month ago. So, you know, he he needs to find, or he the administration needs to find uh, global economic partners who can kind of offset some of that growing influence in China there, uh, particularly in the Asian sphere, because a lot of other uh, Asian neighbors around China are growing really nervous about the Chinese and about how fast and how rapidly they're growing, for a number of reasons, um, some obvious and some not so obvious. But um, he he actually uh, he was very unsuccessful at that, uh, wasn't unable to mold a deal or or finalize any sort of trade deal with the south koreans which was which was somewhat of an embarrassment particularly as he went into then a two-day summit in seoul south korea of the g20 the 20 most powerful economic nations and emerging uh, economies and so um, you know he wanted to go in there with that south korean trade deal and 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 establish um his Basically, his his political power, you know, which had been, you know, severely damaged back home with the midterm elections, and people are watching this globally. They're seeing,
1: mm-hmm. right, you know,
2: how much uh, of an impact these elections have had on President Obama. And um, so it, you know, he, he was hoping for a number of goals. You know, one to kind of, you know, uh, enhance or sort of improve his political image, uh, not just here at home. You know, to show people at home, hey, I'm still the president. I'm still the leader of the free world, and I still have great influence and sway with other nations. Well, you know, it just so happened it didn't work out that way because you couldn't even get a trade deal with South Korea. So, And that's how people are looking at it. And also was he was trying to basically improve or enhance his political image abroad. Um, but it, it was just a very tough, sluggish G20 summit. Uh, normally the United States sets the agenda uh, during right. the G20 summit when they have mm-hmm. it. And that was the case technically, but other countries like India, China, uh South Korea and others were setting the tone. Mm-hmm. And so, um and, and that that's that, that was very unusual and atypical of a G twenty summit. So um you know some really serious problems for him to come back home. You know, he's already bruised because of the midterm elections and then he gets bruised even more abroad. Uh yeah he this is a White House under siege.
1: Wow, and and you mentioned you know how all of this information now is you know global, it's instant, and how has that changed the face of politics? Where any country can find out that day the, the and take the temperature of um, the political climate in, in any given way they'd like.
2: Uh, you know, it it, it makes the world much smaller. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it, it definitely does, that. and it and it makes the world of politics much smaller as well. So. Mm-hmm uh and and it can it can rapidly uh shape and define events uh you know in on, on a on a twenty four seven rotation uh and it's it, it becomes very problematic uh i mean there's some opportunities with it uh mm-hmm. in in the sense that um countries are are linked or or world leaders are linked by their different experiences you know they know exactly what's going on at the moment it happens and so uh you know and that that kind of that that can help sort of bring different global leaders together in the same room and 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 they can kind of relate to one another because they know exactly what's going on in real time in their respective countries i mean so i you know that's that's the positive aspect of it but the negative aspect is uh is that you know you've got this this 24/7 news cycle but you also have this proliferation of information going all over the place, whether it be by uh, news portals or, uh, or or bloggers, you know, which are infinite in number. So you got information flowing all over the place, and so it, it can be sort of an intelligence meltdown mm-hmm. for some countries, particularly the United States, because countries are so exposed, and the leaders and the governments are so exposed in a way that they've never been before. And, and that can create problems. Uh, you know, right. suddenly, you know, now now other governments are are very aware, acutely aware of what's happening. I mean, down to the ground level, down to the street level, what's happening in a in a in an American midterm election. And so that can that can pose problems for an American president, and that can pose problems also for the other branches of government. And then, you know, that gets into a conversation about uh, other governments having sway or you know direct or indirect sway or influence over how we operate and and over our elections i mean some of that was coming out during this 2010 midterm the white house was trying to say that the us chamber of commerce was accepting uh donations from foreign contributors to essentially um, pay for uh multimillion dollar um, political ad campaigns and and that, that created an issue that was that was a problem that that was something an issue that the white house was trying to basically um galvanize uh independent and also left leaning voters over. And it, it didn't work, but um it's it's something that came up as a major campaign issue. So, you know, so there's all these different issues that come up. You know, there there's some opportunities and some advantages to, you know, the the, the spread of information globally in such a rapid fashion. But there are some some disadvantages too. And um and, and that's what we're seeing now. I mean we've been seeing that especially um since Uh, since before 2000, since, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, really, I mean, it kind of came into being during the Clinton administration, and it has just been rapidly growing ever since.
1: You know, it's interesting because um, when we were in the the midst of our financial meltdown and the mortgage crisis was at its um, highest point, there were actually foreign news agencies on K Street, and I saw them as I was walking down the street hoping to interview people you know about the, the end of civilization in america i mean they really thought we were going down they were so misled <laughs> by the headlines and the hype that they thought right. that they could actually talk to people who were saying it's over you know mm-hmm. we don't, we don't know what we're going to do at this point but it wasn't that way at all and the looks on their faces and you could just see that they had one agenda in mind but there was nothing out there that they could find that sort of matched what their headlines would have been so it's point. just interesting you know and, and they have a different culture and a different way of looking at things as well. And when, especially if you come from some place where your um, your newspapers are controlled and it's pretty much that's the word from a, um, someone higher above, and it won't change. To mm-hmm. to being able to hear information from just about anyone, just like you said, a blogger or anyone else that has no oversight, you can definitely be misled. And it's so much of it. How do you pick and choose and understand what's really true and what's factual.
2: No, that's a good point. I mean, we we have reached a point of information overload, and information overload can sometimes exacerbate the problem. It can make it worse. Uh, That's not to say the problem didn't exist in the first place. I mean, it it did. I mean, we were going through, we still are going through a major uh, global economic reconfiguration, uh, which, you know, we haven't even started to see. I mean, we've only touched the tip of the iceberg as far as this uh, recession is concerned. This recession is about something much bigger um, than 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 we can fathom right now. Uh, it's, it's just about a whole kind of reshaping of of the economy, of society, etc. But no, you're absolutely right. I mean, we when, when you have this 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 nonstop 24 7 news cycle, it's um, it can be an information overload, and it can cause it can create a sense of panic uh, and a sense of uncertainty. Uh, a lot of times, because you're getting so much information, and there's so much. A lot of it, too, is it's not the best news. I mean, it's a lot of doom and gloom, and so and that can that can influence elections. I mean, look at you know that there's another debate that's taking place right now in the wake of these midterm elections about a lot of these pollsters and a lot of the polling, um, the day to day polling that we were seeing. Mm-hmm. up the election, and a lot of people were saying that the polls kind of influenced the elections because right. polls were constantly saying, Hey, we've got this republican enthusiasm gap there's no way that that the, that the um that the Republican wave can be stopped, and so a lot of folks are saying a lot of voters just stayed home because they were discouraged. They're like, well, you know a lot of well at least a lot of democratic voters or independent voters who would have otherwise voted Democrat, they were discouraged. Uh, you know, because they felt like, well, the polls are saying that Republicans are going to win anyway, so why should I come out? So, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, once again, it's that information overload. Because you would, you know, I, I would read maybe you know ten to fifteen different polls a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that was the norm. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that can really kind of influence. Yeah, and it shouldn't influence the outcome. It should just be reporting the information. But you know, that's that's another discussion about um, how how the um, the presentation of the conveyance of news can actually influence. Um, outcomes or influence um, certain results. And that shouldn't be happening, but it is happening, uh, unfortunately. And, um, you know, and then you have, you know, results such as these. So th- there could be, you know, Michael, I mean, I, you know, as far as the Republican takeover of the House, Republican gains in the Senate and on the state level, um, you know, there's an opportunity here. You know, there's an opportunity here for people to sort of recalibrate and look at things differently in terms of how they conduct their politics, you know, particularly mm-hmm. when we look at black folks, you know. Black folks now are going to really have to come to grips. They're going to have to come to terms with how um, how they're conducting their political strategy on, on, a, on a grand scale. you uh, got to stop putting your eggs on one basket, fam. You really do. Because now, you know, we, we go through this every couple of years, every two or four years or so. We go through this stage where, you know, we, we're, we're biting our nails at the edge of our seats because Republicans are about to win and 95% of us are voting Democrat. And, you know, we've got to come to a point now where we've got to ask ourselves, you know, are we supposed to be selling our soul to one party or the other, or are we supposed to be using parties as tools
1: mm-hmm. and,
2: and basically reaching common objectives and common goals? Right. And, I, you know, we, we really need to kind of think about a strategy where uh, we're, we're kind of leveraging influence in both political parties, and both major political parties. So that way we're prepared for these sorts of shifts in power,
3: I um, you know.
2: Now, now, you know, the Republicans have taken over, and most of the Congressional Black Caucus members are Democrats. Now we've got two new Black Republicans that have been elected to Congress: Alan West from Florida and Tim Scott from South Carolina. And I'm hoping that the Congressional Black Caucus is going to take advantage of these two to kind of serve as, as, as their their listening their ears to the Republican majority, and maybe find a way to start negotiating with the Republican majority and finding common ground on on specific policy issues i mean this is this is politics this is not you know that we we've we've passed the stage of what we used to do like forty fifty years ago we've got to go the, we we have to mature to a whole new level and we've got to be very cold and hard and calculated about how we conduct our politics and, and we need to get real here and we need to stop being at a point where like every two to four years or every election cycle we're nervous because one party wins over another party that we put all our support and all our political eggs into. To, you know, we we the part we need to get to a point where the party stop controlling us and we start controlling the party. That's what the Tea Partiers did.
3: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, so and, and and I think that in terms of uh, African American, the African American political community and African American voters, we need to start thinking along those lines too. So I mean, I, in many ways, I mean, I, I see a, a golden opportunity with this election, and I and I hope that it's going to kind of. Slap people into political reality about how to conduct their politics and and how to sort of reshape um, the way they think about um, about their relationships with with these political parties and about doing things beyond just saying okay just get out and vote. No, I, I really hope that this is a is a true lesson in the political process and how these things actually work.
1: Hmm. Well, uh, well, thank you for that, Charles. Uh, that was very insightful. And um, before we uh, move on to our next segment, um, did you want to give them any other information about your show, your blogs, and also any events sure. that you may have coming up?
2: Sure, absolutely. No, I appreciate it, Michael. Um, no, more information you can go to cdellison.com, dot com, um, and um, I'm definitely I'm on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, also I, daily you'll find my writings in politic three sixty five dot com. Uh so writing daily political news and, and commentary and analysis and politic365.com. Great site uh to go to, you know, if you want to get you know, kinda keep up. It's it's actually the premier site for um for for news and perspective and in politics from an African American perspective. And um so it's 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 fast growing. So definitely a great spot to go to. Got some great writing and some great content there. But for more information, go to com and listen to the new school on uh, SiriusXM satellite radio. So I uh, really appreciate I know it's it's a lot. And the news pool, what time
1: does that air? What time does um, that air?
2: That airs um, on Saturdays, 7 a.m., 1 p.m., and 7 p.m. on Sirius 110, XM 130, and um, also the Power XM 169, and then the reairs throughout the week. But you can get more information at cdellison.com.
1: All right, great, great, and look man if you um if you if you got um tantrum True ready and you need someone to just you know check it out for you <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely I'm available it. man you know i'm I'm getting ready to read it again, man, but um by the time well, I finish it, boy, I tell you I'm gonna be hurting, I mean that was great, you know it's interesting your style is almost it reminded me of a comic book for some reason because well, it, nice. it just gave you a little bit of information and it kept pulling you in and um. The the amount of content that was in it, too, and uh, it was very thought-provoking. I mean, you put so many things together in that, I was just really blown away. I was impressed. I knew I, I would like that. it. When I read it, I was just like, man. Wow. And then I got to the end, and I realized there wasn't enough left in the book, and I started to panic. <laughs> I really know, oh, duh. started to have an anxiety. Wow. Attack! I was like, no, don't do this. But hey, That's funny. I'm not going to say too much. But anyway, it's great. You guys really ought to check this out. Awesome. awesome. I appreciate
2: that, man. I, I definitely, um, you know, like I said, let the publisher know. Get the uh, get the sequel out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let them know, you know, let them know. But uh, yeah, definitely more information on the book. I really appreciate that, Michael. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. You know, I was a comic book geek growing up, so um, oh okay. Could probably, okay, Yeah, I, I can see that showing a little
1: bit. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, a very, very nice style. I mean, I really enjoyed it. It's a very adult book, though. Uh, I just want to make sure listeners understand that. Oh yeah, and, uh, yeah, exa- it definitely is. yeah, that you will. Um, it will take you for a ride, and yeah, that's well worth the journey. All right, all right. Thank you very well, much. Well, thanks, Charles, and um, we hope that you can come back with us again in the near future because um, um, it's great to always to have a little um, a political analysis to help us to um, cope with what's going on in the world today and help us to understand it a little bit better. I really appreciate what you do.
2: Hey, listen, thanks a lot, Michael. I, I appreciate what you're doing. Keep doing it. Keep at it.
1: All right. Thanks, man. Take care.
2: Uh, all right. Take care,
1: sir. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I want to take a moment to talk to you about a heinous crime against humanity that plagues our nation. And yes, believe it or not, communities just like yours. Here's something you can do today to lend your support in the fight against human trafficking, also known as modern slavery. For example, Tanya was only 11 when she was forced to use her body for her own survival and the perverse desires of others. Now 18, Tanya knows no other life. She can't even remember when she was able to choose how she wanted to dress. Tanya dreams of being a teacher one day, and with the help of Bridge to Freedom programs and your support, they can empower her and others like her to move from surviving to thriving. You can make a huge difference in the life of a survivor this year through your support and donations to Bridge to Freedom Foundation. Bridge to Freedom is a nonprofit organization that provides aid to survivors of slavery who now live in the U.S., such as former child soldiers and victims of sex trafficking and forced labor. The cornerstone of Bridge to Freedom's work is personal and professional development to help survivors adapt and thrive in their new lives and communities and find work to support themselves. The Bridge to Freedom Foundation needs your support to help people just like Tanya. They need your urgent action to ensure that they can continue to provide clothing and health and beauty services to these survivors. These are not only important for rebuilding self-esteem, but are crucial to finding employment. They're also in great need of storage containers and clothing racks to organize and store donations. While donations of needed items are vital, one sure thing that will help to stop the spread of this injustice and prevent it from thriving undetected is educating yourselves about human trafficking or slavery and knowing the signs and the proper authorities to contact if you become aware of a victim in crisis. Find out more at Bridgetofreedomfoundation.org or if you have a reason to suspect that someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline on 1-888-373-7888. Multilingual call specialists are on standby 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are confidential. Welcome back, truth seekers. Next up on A Measure of Truth, we speak with... Yvette Bethel, CEO of Organizational Soul, an HR consulting and training company that focuses on bringing transformation to companies by grooming leaders and creating HR systems designed to support optimal team dynamics. She believes that the soul of the organization is a dynamic, organic, powerful entity that longs to be recognized for its true brilliance. All organizations are made up of people who create the collective soul, and even in tough economic times, the soul of your organization longs to tap into its true potential. Yvette Bethel, welcome to A Measure of Truth.
4: It is a pleasure to be here with you.
1: (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) I wish I was where you were right now. You're calling (laughs) us from the Bahamas.
4: That is quite right. Uh,
1: Wow. uh, That's pretty It's
4: silly for us here, but you know it's really funny.
1: what chilly what is that 70 degrees
4: <laughs> <laughs> even more than that <laughs> wow
1: okay you know it's interesting what you do cuz you know it's one thing to hire great people but for you to get them to work together effectively is an entirely different animal why is That's that right.
4: You know, we all come to the jobs, uh, our jobs or our careers with, with different personalities. We have different skill sets. And, um, you know, the, 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 the work environment has a certain culture, and uh, le- which means there's a certain leadership style and emphasis on, on certain values. And um, all of that has to work.
3: <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. all of
4: that has to work. And then you have the external um pressures of, you know, changing um demographics you have changing. Um I think uh, your your last uh your last guest talked about the global economic reconfiguration mm-hmm. and um everybody's feeling uh you know the pressure.
1: Right, right. And you know is it's causing a lot of people too to become more competitive in the workplace. And um look mm-hmm. at um their coworkers as um their competition as opposed to their team members.
4: That's right. And um when you look at coworkers as competition, what happens is you create a dynamic of conflict, whether it's uh, you know, something that's overt and, you know, obvious, or it could be something that's latent, uh, you know, that's working right underneath the surface. And um what happens when there's latent conflict, um trust, you know, trust is eroded and uh you know, it's very difficult to rebuild uh, when trust is, is eroded in, in, in any circumstance. So uh, <laughs> conflict, competition, you know, um, the ideal is to move toward, uh, you know, a more collaborative environment. Um, but a, a lot of times I find that uh, with... Uh, you know, managers and leaders, because of the the numbers of the, the amount of pressure, um, you know, they they don't think about the human uh, aspect of of their decisions. They focus more on you know getting the process completed or you know making sure the goals are set. But um, one of the things that I find is missing um, in a lot of the interactions that I have with my clients is that they don't uh they focus so much on the results that the the, the people component is is you know deficient. Mhm. You know um one of the things that uh that you know I'm I'm very very focused on is uh workplace uh, survival and um I uh, put together a CD called Your Your Workplace Survival Kit. And uh, one of the reasons why I put this together is because I see that uh, there's so much uh, going on in the workplace, and not not only from a a leadership perspective, but also from uh, an employee perspective. And uh, it's very important for people to to understand, number one, uh, that... You know, they don't have to be uh stuffed. Uh, because I think that's one of the things that, that impacts morale um very deeply in the workplace. Um, secondly, uh, they need to understand how to manage their emotions, um, in the workplace because uh, you know, your your previous guest talked about that feeling of being overwhelmed. I don't think that that's uh, limited to to politicians. I think that that's across the board. And, um, you know, when you feel uh, overwhelmed, it's very difficult to manage emotions. And this gets right back to, you know, when you don't manage your emotions, um, you know, it's very difficult to to focus on the human component of things. So, So Yeah, and
1: it's very difficult to be productive in situations like that as well
4: yeah absolutely um productivity uh decreases because uh, when product when 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 you're overwhelmed it's very difficult to be creative you know and and sit around a table and and talk about different uh different ideas um because you know someone can be uh, listening to what you're saying and because they're in a in a state of stress uh they're going to attack you instead of uh having a constructive conversation about um you know, about what's going on. And, uh, you know, it it becomes very difficult to communicate. And, uh, you know, I've been in in situations, uh, even in trainings, you know, I sit down. People don't always recognize that uh, when they're communicating, um, body language is so much more um, (laughs) powerful in the communication process. So when you sit and watch uh, communication through the body language, you know, it's very uh, difficult to pay attention because it can be become so distracting. Um, I saw, uh, I, I sat across from a gentleman that was making faces throughout a, an entire presentation. And, you know, what happens is everybody's drawn to this, uh, you know, this this person and, and they're distracted from the important conversation that's going on. And... Um, you know, not everybody's comfortable or or not everybody understands uh, body language and how that, that contributes to conflict in the workplace. Now,
1: tell us a little bit about when you go into a situation where there is a breakdown in communication, there's some conflict there, what are some of the first things you do to get everybody back on the same page and communicating again?
4: Well, I always like to start from a, a place of, of self-awareness and um you know one of the things that i i talk about a lot is emotional intelligence and uh with emotional intelligence um you know self-awareness is 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 the beginning of the process so you need to you need to take a look you first of all you need to know or be literate about your emotions and what that means is you know you literally have to um be able to identify um what's going on within you so you it's not good enough to have some vague feeling. Um, what, what you need to be able to do is say, you know, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling frustrated, because it could be a complex group of emotions or it could be, um, you know, just a single emotion, but you need to be able to put some words to that because once you're able to identify them or articulate them, uh, then you uh, can can identify your patterns and the patterns of other people because once you practice with yourself, of course, um you can uh you get better at identifying these issues with other people now once you um you know understand you and how you react to certain situations there's a level of consciousness uh that that's introduced to the process so um what happens is uh the next step is to now you have to na- navigate your emotions before you even engage with anybody else in in a conflict so in navigating your emotions, you really need to look at things like, you know, what are the consequences of my actions? These, this is an important competence uh, in, in um, handling and managing conflict. You know, what are the alternative outcomes and what is it that I want to um, achieve from this? And one of the things that people don't realize is, you know, we just emote and we react instead of taking a step back and responding. And and a lot of times, you know, our brains are hardwired to um, react, and so it takes a conscious, some conscious effort to to reform your your habits. Um, you know, once you uh, move away from or once you you understand and look at your, the uh, consequences of your actions, you need to you know navigate your emotions. How do you do that? Well, you may some people take a five minute break and or take a walk. Some people reframe whatever it is that they do. Um, you know they need to do that in order to uh, you know move on and 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 respond a, a little bit differently um one another thing that's important uh, another competence that's important is with uh, managing your emotions in difficult situations is optimism um in in workplaces that i i encounter uh there are a number of people who uh see their glasses half empty um you know I know that sounds cliche but mm-hmm. Literally, uh, they take a pessimistic view, and pessimism really suggests a level of disempowerment or, um, you know, this never goes right for me or, uh, you know, I can't get this done or, you know, they just have no, they feel that they have no control over their their situation. And um, optimism is, is really what we're going for where, you know, you look at the situation and, you know, conflict, you know, can happen every day in some circumstances Uh, I see it where there's there's so many interrelational issues, Um, you know, you're having to navigate this every day. And so these people who are optimists, they'll say, you know, this is the case uh, now, but, you know, I have control over this. I can make a choice. I can make a decision. And right now I'm making a decision to be here um but I, ne- I don't necessarily have to um to stay here i i i can move on after i do certain things um so uh that's another one of uh the competencies that can help you navigate you know emotional situations and then there's another one called intrinsic motivation um and really that's about being motivated by your values your belief systems um you know what things that you're interested in versus uh you know what other people think
3: mm.
1: wow, well, that's great Yvette. you know um I, I really have to tell our listeners um you know actually, the power went off, and I had no power, and then the power came back on, so when you first heard me come back, I was actually talking to you from my iPod touch, oh, <laughs> yeah, and then I was able to log back <laughs> and in. Goes and yeah, we're we're back straight now, but um, yeah, um, I asked the producer whether or not it was enough that you might have noticed, and she said you did pause a couple times. I just want to thank you for hanging in there and going <laughs> ahead and go through this. But we're we're at five or four minutes left in the show now, and I do want to um, give people the opportunity to find out more information about your business, your website, other contact information, if you haven't had a chance to mention that yet.
4: Okay, um my website is www.orgsoul.com. That's orgsoul.com. And uh I'm also on Facebook. You can find me there at bethel. Uh I'm on Twitter as well. And uh I have a, a CD, um your workplace survival kit that is uh available at amazon.com. So uh if you want to survive the workplace, uh, you know, you can uh, download or purchase the CD.
1: You know, we're going to have you on again, and we're going to have some people already ready for you to help them through their uh, complex situations at work. (laughs) (laughs) And this is what we had initially planned um, for our show that we had last week, but um, we'll have to run that through again. And when we have more time with you, and we'll definitely go through that, and uh, we just look forward to having an opportunity to see you um, work your magic.
4: Oh, It usually takes a while, though. That doesn't happen in, in 30 minutes.
1: Well, I'm sure that there is some realistic advice that you can give people to help them see their situation a little bit differently. And it really sure. just starts.
4: Sure, yeah. sure.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it, it was just awesome um, having you on. And um, you have to post some pictures from the Bahamas for us as well so we can understand what your environment is like.
4: Okay, I can do
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and great um, pick, by the way, great um, profile picture.
4: Yeah, I it, it was done in New York. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go figure.
1: <laughs> well, thank you very much. We're just about out of time, and uh, we just appreciate you being able to come on and dealing with our little technical difficulties. But uh, best wishes to you, and we'll talk to you real soon.
4: Fabulous. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me.
1: All right. Thank you. Well, special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman, for putting it all together. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. Watch your words. They
0: Maybe They always got something to say. (laughs) Shut up. But uh, not this station right here.